Good evening. It's great being here. I just want to introduce my my online audience to the to the to the event. Um, Monday nights is usually our night at my I'm back in LA for the Parsha of my life. Sheer. This week I'm in the desert in out in Phoenix, and I decided to uh, do the class from here. So Baruch Hashem, we have a beautiful crowd over here, a lot of good old friends back from L.A., um, and uh, so the I know people might have questions on the class. This is for the live community here. <laughs> Let's try to leave that for later because there is a, a live connection, so we'll try to get the, the questions at the end. Um, yeah. So, you know, Bashkocha Pratis, um, we're reading the book of Bamidbar now, and Bamidbar is in the desert. And Pashas Baloscha talks about the Jewish people actually traveling in the desert. So, as much as it's desert in LA, you really feel desert over here. That's a whole new level of desert. And Vahibans, and as we say, Vahibans Soya, they travel. This week is they're traveling. And traveling in the desert. So to give the class on Pashas Baloscha in the desert out in Phoenix, it's fantastic. And uh, the Torah traveled in the desert. So um, to speak Torah in the desert this week is good. Excellent. So um, the, the, the phenomenal element of this week's parasha, just for everybody over here, um, this this class is generally called the Parsha in my life class. So we try to take Parsha and make it, bring it to life as it applies to each and every one of our lives. So we're talking about obviously this week's Parsha, Parsha's Baloscha. Parsha's Baloscha is the real post giving of the Torah Parsha. Meaning this Parsha always comes out after Shavuos, after the giving of the Torah. Parsha's Naso comes out most of the time after but not every time. It's possible that Parshas Noso could be before Shavuos, as it is actually this year in the land of Israel. Our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land are one week ahead of us. They are already studying this week Parsha Shlach, and the reason for that is because on Pesach there has been some, um, you know, based on the technicalities of out. Us and the diaspora having two days Pesach and them having one day Pesach. For us, it was holiday, and for them, it was regular Shabbos. So they started already the reading of the parsha, the next parsha, and then we misaligned. And even though there were many opportunities to reconnect for whatever reason, based on a complicated uh, 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 system of reading, uh, we don't, we haven't reconnected to them yet, and they're still a week ahead, which means. That this week they're reading Shalach, last week they read Baloscha, but Nosso they read, which we read after Shuas, they read that to Shabbos leading into Shuas. So, which tells us that Parshas Nosso is not an exclusive post giving of the Torah Parsha, but Baloscha is a post giving, post Torah Parsha, which means that this Parsha conveys and this Parsha contains within itself the real novelty of what the Torah is all about. Because every year we receive the Torah again. So when we receive this year's Torah and then 
we're reading Parshas Baaloyscha right immediately after we receive the Torah, even though, you know, if you're following the giving of the Torah in the Torah, then we're really talking Parshas Yisro, which is in Exodus, which is in Shemos, we're, we're learning. But Bashkacha Pratis, by divine providence, this is the Parsha we always read after the giving of the Torah. So it must be that this Parsha contains within itself the, the real novelty of after the giving of the Torah. So what is it about Parshas Baloscha that is so special? Well, uh, first we have to explore what is it uh, about get, getting the Torah that is so awesome. The Torah is given to us. And um, the main intent of the Torah is for us to forge a partnership with God. Through the Torah, we partner up with Hashem. And together, Hashem, together with us, work together to improve this world. And finally, the ultimate improvement is realized in the Messianic era, Mashiach's days. So there is a, a certain process that is known as Tikkun Olam, as a, prepar- as a rectification of the world. And the way the rectification happens is by the Jewish people studying the Torah and keeping the mitzvahs through that implementation. That's how the world is improved. And in that sense, it's a partnership because the Torah is divine. The Torah is Hashem's wisdom and the Torah is Hashem's will. But the Torah needs implementation down here in the world in order to correct the world. And that <coughs> system or that uh, program, that divine pro- program, finding its being implemented in the physical, in the physical uh, uh, material world, that's our part. So us, together with Hashem, together create, and the product is, what's the product? The product is the utopian godly world of the day of, of the times of Mashiach. So sometimes we look at the giving of the Torah as a marriage, which is the same idea. Husband and wife partner up. When they partner up, then there is the third element that comes out, which is their family that grows, and then generations, generations, that's the product. The product that is produced as a result of two partners getting together. In our case, it's Hashem and us getting together, and the offspring is all the godly light that fills this world in the time of Mashiach. For that reason, the Torah is all about a fusion and a partnership between heaven and earth, between Hashem and the world. We, we, we see that, that the Torah is very strongly connected to the third, number three. The Torah is given in the third month. This is Sivan. Tonight is actually a very important, pivotal night in the month of Sivan because tonight is the month of Sivan in its strongest moment because it is the 15th of Sivan. The moon, the moon is in its fullest, so the power of Sivan is fully revealed. Sivan is a crucial month because it's the third month. And the sages say that Hashem, it wasn't by chance that we got the Torah on the third month. The third month really expresses what the Torah is all about. That's why the Torah is also a triple Torah, as the sages say, Torah, Tanakh, Torah, Nevi'im, Meksuvim, right? So the scripture is divided into three parts, and it's given to a triple people, Kohanim, Levi'im, Yisraelim. And it is given to, um, it's given on the third day, on the third month. There's a whole long description about how significant number three is related to the Torah, which is really something that needs some clarification because Torah is divine and it's coming from God. And and Hashem, if there's any number associated with Hashem, it's oneness. Hashem Echad, Hashem is one, not three. Others who believe in a three. We don't believe in the three. We believe in a one. 
if we believe in a one, then how come the Torah is the subdivided in, in three? How does that work? Or the Torah come? And the answer is the point of the Torah is the merger. One of the explanations is the merging of Hashem and us, the partnership that we forge together to create this godly utopian existence, which is where our home together, where we and Hashem live together ultimately. And this is very significant this year. For those who listen to my classes online, I've heard about this a lot. I'm just going to do this very briefly. As great and as phenomenal it is that number three is pivotal and important. And this year it comes to full expression because this year is is 3,333 years since the Torah was given. We just passed Shavuos, which was 3,333 years since the Torah was given. Although I mentioned that, that that's last year. Because if you, we all know we went out of Egypt in the year 2448. We also know that this year is 5782. So when you subtract 5782 and you subtract subtract 2448, you want to know the difference from when we went, left Egypt, received the Torah to this year. It's actually 3,334 years. However, the Rebbe discusses this. And the Rebbe says that if you want to be really accurate, we didn't go out of Egypt in the year 2448 on our calendar. We went out in the, in the year 2449. The idea that we have that we went out in the year 2448 comes from one of the places, Rambam. Rambam in the laws of Shemitah and Yovel says it explicitly. We went out of Egypt in the year 2448. But Rambam is counting a different, a different, a, a, on a different calendar than we're counting. Rambam's calendar is one year, um, one year behind us. Our count of our calendar starts at creation. Or rather, year number one is pre-creation, and the last six days of that year is when cre- is when action starts, the creation. But that's already counted as a year. So when Adam Arishan is created, which is Rosh Hashanah, that's already year. That's already the completion of year one number one. We're going into year number two. So when we say we're in five thousand seven hundred eighty-two years of creation, that we're going by that calendar. But when Rambam says we went out of Egypt on the year two four four nine. Rambam is referring to when Ad, he starts counting the first year from Rosh Hashanah when Adam is created. Based on that, he's one year behind. So he says 2448. But in our calendar, it would be 2449. If that's the case, then this year, which is 5782, is exactly 3,333 years. So there is no question that we've just reached a pivotal moment in history in terms of completing the task of unification of heaven and earth and partnering up with God. And that's, the, again, the significance of this power of number three, which is Torah. Now, that idea comes to full expression in this week's Parsha and Parsha's Baloscha. The, the, the idea of Parsha's Baloscha expresses our fusion with God to create this, this, this incredible future world of Mashiach. Where do we see that in Pasha's Baloscha? Well, the name Baloscha is referring to the kindling of the lamps, the lighting of the menorah, in which, you know, the mitzvah is that the Kohen lights the menorah. And that idea of lighting a menorah, that is the sum totality of our work. In other words, if there's one mitzvah that really takes all of Judaism and summarizes it, it's the mitzvah of kindling a menorah. Why? Because what do we do through, as a result of all of our Torah and mitzvahs? We light up the world with godly light. That's it. The world is a dark place. The world is the world in Hebrew is called olam. Olam comes from the word helam, concealment. 
This world obscures, hides, and, and blocks God. And as a result of our lives, every single Jew is an illumination. Ner Hashem Nishmas Adam. Every Jew is a divine lamp sent into this world to illuminate godly light. However, in order to take that lamp of our soul and shine it into the world, the soul has to go into a body and through the body and the body becomes. What's the body then? The body is then the candelabra. The body is the menorah. The soul is the light on top of the menorah. Uh -uh. Now, in order for the light of the soul to, to shine on that lamp, to take hold and to burn on that lamp, it does that through its observance of Torah and mitzvahs. So Torah and mitzvahs is sort of the facilitator that takes the abstract soul, heavenly spiritual soul, and connects that soul, grounds it to earth, and allows that spiritual light of the neshama to illuminate earth. We, the Jewish people as a whole, are this candelabra. Altogether, all Jews, we make up the candelabra. And that's why there are different styles of Jews. Svaradim, Ashkenazim, Chassidim, non-Chassidim, this kind of Chassidim, that kind of Chassidim. Uh, different people with different, different, because the menorah is not just a singular lamp. It's got seven branches. So, but gener in general, the Jewish souls are here to light up the world. The menorah is the more the physical, our physical bodies, our, and then the spiritual element and, and the, 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 the light is our neshama. And the Torah and the mitzvahs is that connector that connects spirit and matter, allowing the spiritual light of the soul to illuminate in this world. Now, um, the question is over here. Now, in that sense, as we said before, that expresses also the par partnership. Because the we're using, first of all, we're using the Torah and the mitzvahs, which is the, the godly, these are all divine and the godly elements, godly uh, system, a godly program. So it's given to us by Hashem. And, but we're the ones doing it. So if we're the ones doing it, that's the fusion. So we're taking godly light. So the lighting of the Noah is some kind of a combination of Hashem and us. But more specifically, it's not only that the Torah is a divine element, it's also the light of the neshama. In order for the neshama to shine and to light and to, and, 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 and to illuminate and to be a bright light in this world, it needs to be empowered by Hashem. Hashem empowers the soul. Or rather, let's go back to a menorah, a physical menorah. A physical menorah is a, it's, it's a candelabra which, which shines light. But the candelabra shining light is only, again, if someone comes and lights the, 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 the menorah. A menorah as it is sitting in a china closet. A menorah as it is sitting in a, in a bookshelf. Or the menorah that's standing up there is a menorah, but it's not giving light. It has to be kindled. In the metaphor, if we're comparing it towards, that's the metaphor, but when we're connecting it to its spiritual source, who is lighting? There is a Kohen that lights the menorah. Who is the Kohen that is lighting, igniting the soul? That's Hashem. Hashem illuminates and empowers the neshama. Then once the neshama is lit and it's shining brightly, okay, then that's our, we're shining. But God is very much involved in it. Or rather, let's let's step a little back. In order for a neshama to have any impact in this world, 
since this world is a very, very, very dark place, and since this world is full of obstacles and the world is full of concealment and the, and the materialistic nature of this world can be very, very overpowering to the neshama. So in order for a soul to be able to break through and do what it needs to do in this world, God has to infuse the neshama with an enormous amount of strength. As we know, that prior to a neshama coming down into this world, the neshama is taken into a special place where the neshama is given enormous strength. The sages tell us that a neshama is, is made to make an oath. We begin the book of Tanya, we always learn that. The neshama is, is, is being, an, an oath is placed on the soul, where the soul is um, told, be a tzaddik, don't be a rush. Don't be wicked, be righteous. Now the simple meaning is, it's kind of the neshama is being shown the, two, the, the, the consequences of its actions. You do right, you go into this beautiful place. You do wrong, there's hell, and that's it. And that's the idea of this oath. But Hasidus, the Tzemach Tzedek, explains that we have to change the shin and we have to turn it into a sin. The neshama is satiated. The neshama is filled up. In other words, all the fluids of the neshama are topped off before it comes down here. God takes it into that special, you know, you take your, 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 your car in for a special oil change and they, they top off all the fluids. So God really fuels the neshama with enormous strength. Really what happens is that Hashem imbues the soul with enormous spiritual steroids before it comes down here. A neshama being taken directly from heaven and sent into this body would not stand a chance. By three years old, he would be a total heretic and a total rebel. The fact that a soul is able to, you know, somehow swim against the current down here is because there is an enormous empowerment to the neshama before the neshama comes down. And it's not only before the soul comes down in a body, it's also continuous. As we are told that someone comes to purify himself, he gets assistance from above. The sages also tell us that if Hashem would not assist our neshama, we wouldn't stand a chance. And that every single day, the, t- the sages tell us that our neshama, our Yitzhah evil inclination, rises like a, like a monster to swallow us up. And if not for God assisting the soul every single day, that's it, finished. We would be completely overrun by the evil inclination. So God is consistently helping us, empowering us, fueling us, energizing us. And that comes in many ways. It comes through some kind of subconscious connection that takes place. But also it comes through the various different assistants that Hashem sends in this world. For instance, Hashem puts a big tzaddik in the world, the Kohen, a Rebbe. And that Rebbe extends and inspires and enlivens and gives, gives energy to all the souls. In that sense, the question really becomes, in what degree, to what degree is it really our work? Anything that we do and anything that we achieve, to what degree is it really credited to the person doing it? If, if not for Hashem's help, you couldn't get anything done. And the sages even take it further. There's a passage that says, Mi Who can come before me that I should v'ashalem, that I should uh, pay them back? In other words, God says, who can hold something up against me and demand that I owe him something? Hashem says, has anybody, you know, if you put a mezuzah on your house, you're so excited about your mezuzah, but who gave you the house so that you can put the mezuzah in the house? 
I was I did some hiking today in Sedona, and as I, I and it was like magnificent. It was so amazingly beautiful when we got up to the spires and the red rocks. And I made a bracha. I said the bracha Baruch Hashem and I was like singing to God. That was like on a moment of like. And God says, "Have you ever sung to me? If I did not give you your neshama, the soul sings to Hashem. So if you're doing it, but I preceded you. In other words, everything that we are doing and the power to overcome the evil inclination." And all of what of what a person always and daily assistance, Hashem is giving us all the power to do so. If that's the case, how do we attribute the work that we are doing to be considered that we are the ones that are doing it? If you really, really, really break open the actions and the doings of a person and the successes of a person, we will see that we are being backed up continuously by Hashem, and it's Hashem's force that is responsible for everything that we do. If that's the case, where we play a role. And if this is meant to be a partnership between us and Hashem. So let's take a look at the menorah and we see something really, really phenomenal. And that is when a menorah is lit, the menorah, as we said earlier, cannot light itself. The menorah needs a person, and in our case, it needs the Kohen to come and light the menorah because the menorah doesn't self-ignite. But yet there is an important rule is a very important rule when it comes to lighting the menorah. And that is that when the Kohen extends his, his, his hand and he, he, he lights, he puts the, uh, the, the lighter, so to speak, to the, to the wick, um, the Kohen is not fulfilling the mitzvah. When the fire and the wick come together, the mitzvah has not been done. As long as the coin's hand is standing over there and he is placing fire on the wick, even though technically you have a burning lamp, there is no mitzvah yet. When is the mitzvah fulfilled? When the coin can move his hand away and the lamp now starts becoming self-sufficient. Now that the lamp can burn without the coin extending his hand and putting the fire on it, only then is the mitzvah. Rashi says, The words Baaloischa, that the flame should go up on their own. It cannot be contingent or it can't be uh, held by the Kohen. And the opposite would be, imagine that the menorah has to burn the whole night. Imagine if the Kohen stood in the holy temple and he wants to be like a super really good Kohen. So he really cares about the mitzvah. And he stands in the temple inside the sanctuary the entire night. And he's holding a seven-prong um, um, a lighter. And he's extending that lamp and holding it to the flames the entire night. There's no mitzvah there. Technically, there's a problem there. The Kohen must step back. He must let go. And he has to allow the flames to burn on their own. Now, that's not just a diokin rashi. It's actually, meaning it's not just derived from rashi. It's actually halachically that way. And where do we see halacha that way? It's a phenomenal idea. Rambam says a phenomenal aspect. Rambam says that um, if a Kohen, if the Kohen desires to allow a friend of his to light the menorah, I don't know if this ever happened, but Rambam says it is absolutely permitted. If the Kohen would want a friend of his, a non-Kohen, to light the menorah, there's a problem. A non-Kohen can't light the menorah because a non-Kohen can't go into 
the sanctuary where the menorah is. So Rambam says technically the Kohen can pick up the menorah, take it out into the courtyard where the non-Kohen is, and the non-Kohen can light the menorah, and then the Kohen will take the menorah back and place it in the temple, and it's no problem. I'm sure it was never done, but hypothetically, it's okay. Rambam doesn't even say it shouldn't be done. The Raivet, the other opinion, says, no, it's like, whatever. But even the Raivet agrees, meaning the opponent of the Rambam, that if it's done, it's still kosher. Now, which is really astounding, because the 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 menorah first of all number one is not being lit in its right place the menorah must be lit inside the torah says clearly where it has to be lit the menorah has to be lit it says inside you know exactly at the point where which is in the sanctuary now you lit it outside and the kohen simply a kohen has to do the avoda so how does it how, how do you do avoda that's not a kohen how can you do something that's not how can a non-kohen do a service and the reason is Rambam derives that, that lighting the menorah is not the mitzvah. The mitzvah is not lighting the menorah. The mitzvah is that the menorah should burn. Not that you light the menorah. And that's different than Hanukkah. Try doing the same thing of Hanukkah and your Hanukkah candles are not okay. What does it mean? A Hanukkah menorah has to be lit by the door or by the window or whatever. Now what happens if you light the menorah on the table and then you pick up the menorah and you put it by the door, you did not, that, that's invalid lighting. Why? Because the mitzvah of lighting the menorah, this, uh, of your Hanukkah menorah, it's called Hadlaka Isa Mitzvah. The mitzvah is the lighting of it, not that it should be lit. But not so in the menorah in the Beis Amigdash. The mitzvah is the menorah should burn, not that you should light it. And over here the Rebbe aligns himself with Reb Chaim of Brisk. The Rebbe brings it in the bottom. Look in Chedusha Reb Chaim of, on, 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 on Rambam, with the Rambam where he says that in the menorah, the mitzvah is not at all lighting. The mitzvah of the menorah is a menorah should burn. And that's why you can have a non-Kohen lighted. It can be lit outside as long as it is burning inside in the base. Some English, it, it is burning. So what do you see from here? That the main element of the menorah is not the one who is igniting it. Who's responsible for the mitzvah of menorah? It's the menorah itself. Obviously, on a menorah itself, you can't have a mitzvah. But the, the mitzvah is, you should cause that the menorah should burn. But the burning is attributed to the menorah, not to the lighter of the menorah. Now, if we take that into our relationship with God, something phenomenal comes out. And that is that even though Hashem is the one who kindles our lamp and God continuously fuels us spiritually and Hashem is constantly there assisting us. As we know that as a Jew, whenever we write a letter or we put something, we put always either Baruch Hashem or we write which means with the help of Hashem. But yet, it's not considered as if God is doing it. It is totally considered as if we have done it. Because the mitzvah is not the part, the assistance coming from above. The mitzvah is when we kick in. And our kicking in is considered a real action, even though there is so much assistance from above. And how does it really work? It doesn't seem to make any sense. Because if you couldn't do anything without God empowering you to do it, and then you're doing it, so why is it considered your action? Why is it considered you're doing it? Why is the, the, the credit that it's being done from a true perspective. Not God is not trying to be nice. Okay, you did it, Shefala. You know, it's not that's not what it is. It's because we really are doing it. But how can we really be doing it if at the, if all the power to get it done is coming from Hashem?
And the answer is really, really, really special. Simple, the, on the simplest of levels, that's the concept of free choice. Which means, notwithstanding the enormous amount of energy that God is pouring into our soul to fuel us to do mitzvahs, notwithstanding the fact that he's assisting us all the time, but at the same time, we know that a person has free choice. Which means that with all the inspiration coming and with all the, the stimulation and all the motivation that's blowing up, mean, if you don't decide to actually go ahead and do it, nothing gets done. There's a certain point where you and you yourself kick in, where we as human beings, or particularly the Jewish people as Jews doing mitzvahs, where we take, where we jump in, and at that point, God's influence is not there at all. So when it comes to the pivotal moment of a mitzvah, which is the actual deed of the mitzvah, it's completely you and it's not Hashem. But how do we make sense of that? How does it make, based on the idea that there is so much input coming from above? So the Rebbe uses a phenomenal concept from Torah called Misayeya Ein Boy Mamish. But he uses an, a, a, a fantastic Hasidic twist on it. The concept of Misayeya Ein Boy Mamish means someone who is an enabler does not have any substance. And that's a halachic term. What is the halachic term regarding an enabler has no substance? Um, I'm not allowed to cut off my payas. A man is not allowed to cut off his payas, right? So over here, you have to leave your hair at this part. Now, what happens if I go to the barber and I sit down and the barber goes, another Jew who's there, and he cuts the payas off? So he is the one who is now violating the prohibition of cutting off the payas. The person who is now, now what happens is I'm enabling him. Because I took off my hat, and I sat down, and I am making myself available for the haircut. Yet we say that, Messiah, since you're not doing it, you are only doing the pre, pre-preparation or making yourself uh, available for the act to be done. For that reason, it's not called aim by mamish. It doesn't have any substance, and you're not in violation. The one who did the haircut, that's the person who's in violation. Or an alachis regarding a woman with 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 tefila, that there is the idea that a woman on Shabbos she, she couldn't cut her nails. What happens if she gets a a, a non-Jew to cut the nail? Uh, which again, not simple that she could do that. But I'm so the problem is, but she's sticking out her hand. Is she considered as if she helped and considered liable for the? So the halach is misayeya ain by mamish. It's not considered her assistance since all she did was make herself available, but did not do it. It's not considered as if she did the 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 cutting of the nails. So in our case, the Rebbe says. So what do you see from here? Yes, there is an enormous siuya. There is an enormous help from God helping us in our, but it's not considered mamish. But here's the Hasidic twist. The Rebbe says what that means. Misayeya ain by mamish means that. All of God's input and God's assistance does not reach the world of mamashos. It doesn't reach the world of substance. What does mamash mean? Mamash means something I can touch. Matter, physical. That's what's to us called mamash. Mamash, something tappable, something touch, something tangible, something that our physical body can 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 tap. All of Hashem's input and assistance 
remains and stops a notch above the physical world. It does not enter into the material actual into the world of mamashes. It remains above this world. And in order to take anything from the divine, from the divine uh, input, from the divine flow into the physical, that's where God gave the due restriction to the human being. So there's a very deep insight into the whole concept of Bechir Chavshis and free will in this particular idea. And that is that generally, you know, there is so much divine input and divine influence, godly influence in everything. But what the Rebbe is saying, that that godliness stops that influence, that force does not penetrate into the mamashis of world, into the material. And all the, you can be inspired. When you're sleeping at night, God, Hashem goes up at night. Our soul goes up and up at night. If you went to sleep the way you should, you said Kriya Shema, and you put the, you know, you did you did your, your preparation, you went to sleep like a Jew should. You plug your soul in, it's like plugging your, your, your phone in. You're charging, besides charging your body, you're also charging your soul. God is charging the soul, but God's charging of the soul will, will wake you up with a very inspired soul, but that will not translate in you getting out of bed. The actual getting out of bed is you need to kick in right now and say, I am getting out of bed. With all the inspiration, it stops in the realm of spirit. It does not translate into physical. The material is our our action. Only the human can do that act. And being that mitzvahs, is the physical act, which means there is no mitzvah to be inspired to eat matzah. There is no mitzvah to be motivated to be ma- eat matzah. There is no mitzvah to be passionate and on fire to eat matzah. There is a mitzvah to eat matzah. And the eating of the matzah takes your choice. That's not God. God can't influence there. He stops his influence at the material world. And that's the meaning, Messiah, all divine influence, Ein by Mamish does not translate into the Mamashes of physicality. Comes out according to this, notwithstanding that there is so much assistance from above, the action is exclusively your action. It's, cons- it's The mitzvah is the menorah itself burning, not the divine influence doing it. But let's go a little deeper into why is that? How does that work? What is the significance of the of the uniqueness of free will that that manifests only in the physical realm when it, when it comes to mitzvahs? That in the physical material world, divine influence stops. So this is here's we're going to just carry through a few very very deep ideas regarding bechira chafshes free choice, and together it creates the a a a, a great. A great understanding, a great, I mean, free choice is a subject that goes on and on and on and on. And there's always, it'll always be above our heads to a certain degree. But yet there are some, a few things, the components that come together to create that, that, that kind of demystifies this idea of free choice. Each one of these ideas require an entire class on its own, but just, I'm going to, I'm just going to go through four of these points, but very, very briefly, and I'll just give you food for thought to think about regarding the enormity of our impact in our lives 
and how amazing it is to be physically alive every moment and how special it, that is in terms of our ability to actually do something that is considered that we are doing. So here is the idea. The reason why all divine influence stops before it gets to the physical world is based on the concept that when Hashem creates this world, he create, there's a certain system of evolving worlds. Okay, There's a system of evolution. The system of evolution is a system of that the, that 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 first on a, on a, on a, on a, on a, on a prior level, the spiritual there's a spiritual realm, and and then the spiritual realms evolve into lower levels of spirituality of lower worlds and lo, and worlds is a concept the, the idea of cause and effect. There's an enormous chain of cause and effect. There's an ongoing chain of where one thing evolves into the next. In general, we say that all of creation is divided into four realms. Atzilus, Bria, Yetzir, and Asi. Atzilus means the world of emanation. Bria is the world of creation. Yetzir is the world of formation. And Asi is the world of completion. Now, the way it works is that, or that, that the way that these four worlds, one follows the next. From the world of emanation comes the world of creation. From the world of creation comes the world of formation. From the world of formation, thank you, comes the world of of action or the world of completion, the physical world. But here's an interesting idea. This, This flow of energy that descends from realm to realm, evolving into lower states of existence, has a disconnect right before it comes and it, and it manifests as a physical material creation. Where do we see that? The Pasuk that describes creation says, for my glory, Barasiv, I created it, Yetzartiv, I formed it, Asisiv, I made it. But there was one word that I omitted, and that is the word Af, because the Pasuk says, for my honor, Lechvaydi is the world of Atzilut, the world of emanation, that's God's honor. It's Barasiv, I created it. That's the world of Berea, the world of creation, a spiritual world. Yitzartiv, I formed it. It says, Af Asisiv, I also created it. What does that mean? Is Is that when the energies of creation, when God's energy of creation reached the final point of creating the material world, there was a pause. And it did not move into the state of creation. It stopped. And then after it stopped and it halted, there was a new infusion and a new green light and said, let's go ahead and create. That translates in our life very interestingly. We find it that this literally becomes part of the human experience. Now we operate, since we're created by Hashem, we also operate in a similar manner. And that is when we are cre- and when we are inspired, for instance, uh, for anything. Let's say we, we're in the market to buy a house. Okay? We decide we want to move somewhere. So we're going to buy a, house, a home. So we have the inspiration. We have the idea. And the idea goes into, and from our idea, you know, we get excited emotionally. From emotions come our, our thoughts. We're thinking about it. And then we talk to our friends about it. So these things all happen. They roll. It's rolling from one into the next. There's no stop. But then it comes to the actual moment when you have to sign on the dotted line and when you have to make it real in the material world. Suddenly, not so fast. Suddenly you take a deep breath, you're stepping back. Even though everything was so clear. I remember when Muttal was moving. 
Yeah. And they were talking about this house. He was talking to me because he had his office in the shul by us. So we had conversation. He's moving and I was on the house. And, 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 and But when it comes to closing, there is always that, that yeah or no, there is the pause. You're going to buy a, a car <laughs> uh, and, and they're very good. The, the, the salesman, they're really good. And, and a good salesman knows that this is the dangerous moment because you can have the people moving, 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 moving. And then they get at that last second. The husband looks at the wife. The wife looks at the husband. They pick themselves up and they walk out. So this is the point where they don't want to, they don't want to, get, they, they don't let, they try to stop that space because that's the point where most sales go, eh? because when it comes to the action and the reason when it comes to the action, things stop is a lot to do with the fact that God also stopped before we come to action. Mm-hmm. And Hashem rethinks it over again. Yeah or no, yeah or no, and let's go ahead and create. That is, that's a pause. What that does spiritually to the entire system of divine inspiration or anything coming from Hashem is that it flows very, very easily from world to world. For instance, we spoke about a mitzvah. If I'm giving tzedakah, for instance, if, if, if you, or, or anyone, we're, we're going to give charity, we're going to give tzedakah. The inspiration of giving tzedakah comes from a sense of kindness, right? We're feeling kind. Where does the kindness come from? The kindness comes from a higher realm. There are very kind angels above, and they're funneling kindness. And, those, and that kindness is coming from a higher realm. And here's the amazing thing. All these channelers, channels of love ultimately emanating from God's love and God's kindness, which is finding, which is motivating angels after angels, like we say, one is calling to the next, and none of them are able to stop it. It's like, it's, like, it's like a program. It's a domino effect from angel to angel, from move to move. It's flowing uninterrupted. And then it comes into our hearts and we're inspired. And we're inspired to... Suddenly to, to, to do something kind, to help people. And we would think that if the whole program is working and it's unstoppable because it's a divine force that's flowing through the universe and it's going from level to level, is that it should make it fully down to the mailbox where the check is mailed without any interruption. But what do we see? That it's not always the case. It doesn't make it. It stops before the actual check is written or before they put it in the mailbox and goes in. Now, in order for the check to be written and you to help the other person, you need to choose to do it. That's the mitzvah. That's the only part where God doesn't have any jurisdiction when it comes to that actual action. But why is that? That has a lot to do with that af, that Hashem disconnected the material, physical world from everything preceding it. And over here, there is a space and a space that in that space is where free choice happens. Because in that space is where the influences from above are not are not generating um, or not um, are not compelling. They don't have to. It doesn't have to result in God's will or so and so on and so forth um, 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 being realized or the mitzvah being done. There is that space, and that space is free choice. Again, so that's the space where free choice is able to happen. Now let's take it a little deeper. And, 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 and understand the nature of that disconnect between the spiritual and the physical. The nature of the disconnect between the physical and the spiritual is also to the idea that in the, not only in terms of Hashem's motivation to create, his, his, the, the, that, it, that, it, that it reaches an interruption point, 
But there is another element to it. And that is the actual bringing about of, of, of matter, of physical world, is, requires or comes, does, comes after a stop. And let's understand what that means. That means like this. All spiritual realms, in order for them to come into existence, again, they're, they're, they're based on energies that precede them. Okay, so there is an energy flow and one falls into the next and so forth. But here is where the Alter Rebbe says to us something really, really magnificent. I think it's his chiddush. I think it's his novelty. And that is that all this flow, all this evolution of world to world from level to level um, works until as long as we remain in the, in the realm of the spiritual. The moment we are moving from the spiritual to the physical the evolution system doesn't work anymore. The reason it doesn't work is because as the Alter Rebbe puts it, any spiritual energy that will evolve, and how, does, how, do, how, do, how, do, how do these worlds evolve through a process of dimming of divine light? The more the energy is reduced, it gets weaker and weaker and weaker, creating a lower form of, of existence. But even if it will continue weakening and weakening and weakening and weakening and weakening, and weakening it will never ever evolve into a physical substance. Physicality does not evolve from spiritual energy. Even if that process would go on on infinity, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, reducing the energy, reducing the energy, it will never ever turn into physical matter, physical substance. And the reason for that is, is because physical substance is a new entity. It's totally new, and in order for physical substance to appear, what has to happen? God himself has to get involved. When we say God himself has to get involved, means that everything else, obviously, God is creating. But everything else, God is creating all the spiritual realms. He's creating it through his energies, his lights, his emanations. Hashem's emanations, the power, what he has emanated and he has let... and. and the orange soul, the infinite light. But when it comes to actually making physical material matter over here, it cannot happen unless what we call in Hasidus, we refer to Hashem's very self, Atmos himself, God's very self gets involved. And he is the only one who can produce matter to come into existence. And why? What's so chiddush about matter? What is so phenomenal about matter? The chiddush and the novelty about matter is that matter is an entity that is incredible. What makes matter so incredible is that it is the only entity in existence that is absolutely sourceless. Every single creature being entity is a product of something else, which means is a consequence of something else. Comes from somewhere. Matter doesn't come from anything. It just is. Now, now that doesn't mean that I'm not saying the truth of it, but that's the experience of matter. The experience of matter is, it is. It doesn't have, it, it's not connected to its source. It's not sensing its source. It's not feeling its source, which is not, which doesn't work in 
in, in all what we call in the Hasidus Hishtal Shalut, in the entire progressive order of worlds and worlds, no matter where you are, everything is linked up to somewhere. Everything feels that it is a consequence of somewhere. There is a flow of energy to it. Everything is looking up to, to a higher plane from where it's receiving from. For thousands of years, so today's days, obviously we know that matter is energy. But that's not the take unless you go to science class. Or, and, how long, and how long is it that we discovered that? That's part of the purification of the world that we begin seeing that. But till how long ago? 200 years ago? I don't know when, they, when, when, this, when science made that, uh, that, that. No, a table is a table. Does it come from anywhere? It just is. Substance without a source. There's no such a thing as substance without a source. Everything comes from somewhere. There's only one being who doesn't come from anywhere. A being without a source. Who is the being without a source? And that's God, Hashem himself. Even the Orange self, the infinite light, which is like the first emanation of God, comes from somewhere. There is a source that is emanating that light. But only the very, very essence of God himself, he exists from within himself. And since he exists from within himself, he is sourceless. And here is the strangest thing, this kind of imitation of God itself that floats around that states the same thing that God himself says about himself that I am because I am material matter has that same quality obviously it's not true about physicality because the truth of the matter is that it's nothing other than a flow of energy from above and the will of God for it to bring it into existence for it to be but that's the truth that's not the experience of it So what happens with the physical matter over here? God himself lends himself, his very self, into the physical. Hashem is kind of extending, so to speak, his very, very self into physical matter. And there is a presence of the essence of God in physical matter more than there is in all levels of existence, which makes the physical matter the most distant from God and the most closest to God at the same time. See? It's the most distant to God because what is God imparting to the physical? An ability to be totally disconnected from him. See? What God is giving of himself to the physical is he's giving the divine essence into the physical for the physical to act as if it's God itself, which means a being without a source. So in that sense, the physical is then moved to a state of the greatest separation possible. Everything else is linked up to a chain to God. Physicality is disconnected, complete disconnected. And that's why when we live in the physical world and our souls are operating within the construct of physicality, we are able to, in the first time, to completely defy God's orders. We're, be, we're able to completely ignore, we're able to completely um, disconnect, which cannot be done in any realm other than the physical. Because when you're, when you're, when, when, when you sense you're leaning on something, then you must respect what you're leaning against. And since ultimately everything has an innate organic feeling that it stems from the higher, so the higher has say, you can't, it's like, it's like, it's like if you work for someone, then you're working for someone. You can't just take vacation whenever you want. You're working for someone. What is one of the good uh, things of being your own boss? On the one hand, you're responsible for yourself. But on the other hand, okay, so now you go when you want. Why? Because there's no one there. You're not answering to anybody because you're free. 
So the fact that this world has freedom, which means you are free to act and to ignore God completely, is related to the fact that there is this af asisif, that the physical world is not a continuation of the spiritual realms that are before him. And that creates the environment of free will in the physical world. For that reason, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, all divine influence that inspires us, motivates us, brings us into a state of excitement, does not translate into the act of the mitzvah. Here, everything, in other words, God God has a program. The program is for the world to become godly. And everything operates perfectly in harmony. A million, a gazillion things have to operate. The flow of energy of these mitzvahs flowing through all the channels from above as the Torah makes its way down. And you're almost at the final, final executing state at the last second. And here the entire existence holds its breath. Why? Because this is the one place it can go off. Why can you go off? Because the end user, the one who is going to make that move and take that spiritual energy and inject it into a physical body that's going to wrap tefillin around its hand, right over there, the ability is given for yeah or no. For what? As we said, the spiritual is, there is an interruption between the spiritual and the physical. The physical is created in a way that it feels independent completely from God, and therefore it has that 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 separation and that ability to act contrary to God's will. So these are two elements which bring us, both of them are in the same idea, which bring us the environment for free will. And now we come to the third idea, which 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 which, which where this leads into. Which is, a, which is a phenomenal idea where this leads into. And that is as follows. In addition to the physical now being the most, the environment for free will because of its disconnect and its separation, it actually enables free will not just because of its, because of the bottom, because of the lowness of it, but because of its unique connection that it has to, to the divine essence. So let's 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 talk about one more important component of free will. And that is to make a free choice really means that you're not operating based on a predictable set of circumstances which set you in motion at this very given moment to be so and so. The obvious question is. Can it be computed, if we would imagine this, if we would take all the data that has to do with your life, we would look at your genes, we would look at your at your chemistry of your body. You know, the Alter Rebbe says in, in Tanya, in the beginning of Tanya, that everybody's animal soul is composed, you know, fire, wind, water, and earth. And some people are more fiery, so they're more prone to anger and to, and to, and to arrogance. Some people are more watery, so they're more prone to... Uh, to lust, some people are more windy, so they're more prone to wasting their lives away with, with, with silliness and emptiness, and so on and so forth. So let's say we're going to compute that into the, we put that into the, into the, into the, into the computer. We're going to really scan your soul, animal soul. We're going to see what you're made out of. In addition to that, we're going to see your education, your parents, your environment, who you met yesterday, what you ate yesterday for lunch, everything, your diet, your weight, your, your, your everything, every person you ever met. 
Let's say we have the supercomputer that will calculate all the math. Can it give you a prediction of what your choice will be at the next second when you are placed uh, with? Now, it could decide if you're going to choose. Here's no question. It could decide if you're going to choose chicken or beef. It could decide. It could decide if you're going to choose chocolate or vanilla. Yeah, it could decide. But what it can't decide, Rambam says, with all the computing, whether you will make the correct moral choice or not. You will choose to do right or wrong. It cannot choose that. And here the obvious question is why not? And after all, good. We're saying that this world is a place where God removed his influence. See, the problem with free choice is double. Number one, that God has to remove his influence because if it's his influence doing everything that he's doing, then it's not us. But number two, we have to be able to choose freely. Right? So if I put someone who doesn't know how to ride a bike on a bicycle, does he have a choice not to fall? Oh, he's going to fall on the bike. So and if I put, right? So the, the, all the choices, if you are pre-programmed with certain definitions. Now, ultimately, the, the true free choice, if we really, 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 really get to being able to choose something utterly freely without any, any pre pre-leanings, if you can say one way or the other, ultimate free choice is only one being can choose freely. Is the being who has no definitions whatsoever, who is simple with utter simplicity and therefore has no design and no definitions, and therefore he is the one who freely can choose. So going back to the discussion we had before, the only one who really, really has free choice is God's essence. Even the divine light has certain, certain the, the infinite light has already certain natures, if you can say. The light must connect to its source. The light must gravitate to its source. Because light always, always, always is connected to source. It cannot behave otherly. So is in every level of existence. Angels must be holy. And souls must be excited about God. And animal souls must be excited about all the other stuff. And bodies, when they have both, are confused. So we really get to the question, where does free choice really happen? And this is, I think, the question that is bothered, that, that I think Mati kind of was hinting to me when he asked me about this topic the other day, is I understand who's really choosing over here. My body is prone to uh, to the material pursuits. My soul is not choosing because my soul is prone to do mitzvahs, to connect to God. It's an inspired being. So where exactly does the choice... So then you're saying the choice is, am I going to listen to my neshama? Who's in, who naturally cannot act against God, will I listen to my body? But then, so where does the free choice come? We might say somehow in this fusion of body and soul from between these two polar poles, a pole that's pulling you down and a pole that's pulling you up, somewhere in the, in the midst of it all comes out the free choice that a person is choosing. Okay, we can probably go, go down that path and reach some kind of an understanding but here is something I think much deeper than that. And that is, yes, free choice comes as a result of the soul's marriage to the body. The soul does not have free choice when it is in heaven, but only the soul together with the body has free choice. But it's not because the body presents one side and the soul presents the other side. It's because something much deeper than that. The only one with true, 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 true essential free choice is God. Because there's nothing that tells Hashem what, where, and when. He's utterly free. Everything else has, as we spoke earlier, the sun must shine uh, and go through each thing. Everything acts in a predetermined way. Rambam says the human being was given by God the ability to choose. Hasidus explains 
That's because the the soul is derived, and where does it come from? Ultimately, 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 if you trace the soul back, 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 back to its origins of origins, the soul is rooted in God's very essence. And therefore, God's ability to choose is the soul's ability to choose. So then let me ask you the question, then a soul should have free choice when the soul is in heaven. But it would be different than asking the question. We usually ask the question regarding our physical bodies. Do I have a choice to act once I had such an upbringing? Once my parents have like messed me up or something like that, do I have a choice to act differently? Or once, you know, my whatever, you know, can I go against that? So we're asking, can I overcome the negativities and choose the right thing? Let's ask the question the opposite. Can a soul in heaven, while it's still in heaven, choose not to, not to be holy? No, it can't. A soul is a holy being. It's a godly being. So, but somehow magically, when the soul comes down in the body, that's when the soul is able to choose. So how does that work? So very briefly, even though the soul is, it's very, very coarse, nucleus of nucleus, is originating in the divine essence, that, that, that truth of the soul is utterly untapped and unknown to the soul. The soul experiences is itself as a being of light. And of, as a result of the neshama being a being of light, it, it's, it's stuck in the world of light. It is, acts as a holy being. It sings to God. It prays. It, 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 it is inspired. It's a source of unbelievable inspiration because it is a soul. So it's a being of light. And then in many ways, the reason why the neshama, therefore, is inspired by God is because the source is pulling it. So it's not really contributed. It's not the soul's action. It's not you. You're not doing anything. What happens when the soul comes in the body? Because the physical world, what did we say earlier? The physical world, God's very essence got involved to create matter. We discussed earlier. Since God's very essence got involved to create matter, which is not present in all levels of creation, all levels of existence, only in the physical. Precisely because of that, what does the physical do to the neshama? What did we say earlier? It can block God completely. What we said earlier, because what does physical create? A feeling of independence, a free country, a sense of like America. You're free to do what you want. Today was Flag Day, I think. It's the land of the free this world is the land of the free. You are your own your own master. You can do your own thing. That's the physical. Okay? But here's the thing. When the neshama comes down in the body and the soul does, and the body does a job on the neshama by doing what? Numbing the soul from its, because we said before, it disconnects. There's a massive disconnect from spirit to physical. In that disconnect from spirit that disc, that kind of can disconnect the neshama from because we said before all spiritual influences are not felt in the physical. Once that happens, now the neshama is let's put it this way: the physical body now activates in the neshama a higher truth about the soul than the soul ever knew of itself, and that is that the soul is originating in the very essence of God, and therefore can choose. So when the soul is just being a soul, 
before it's coming in the body, the neshama is stuck in, in light. It's not tapping its essence. Going into a body, and the reason why the body could, could uncover essence in the soul is because the body itself is related to God's essence in a more, in a very crooked, weird way. The body is related to God's essence. Because what did we say earlier? Hashem lends the body its coarseness. Let's put it. See, the very coarseness of the body and its and its and its density, the density of the physical, which makes the physical so ungodly, is actually the ultimate experience of God's truth. When soul goes into body, somehow in that marriage of soul and body, the body triggers in the soul, the soul's relationship to God's essence. And at that moment, the soul rises beyond all, beyond all influences. It's free to utterly choose. And regarding what? And regarding of Torah and mitzvahs. To listen or not to listen. To obey, to do the mitzvah, or not to do the mitzvah. So the environment of free will requires God to be outside of, of the material. Meaning outside, meaning outside of, not an influencer. That's the environment. More than that, in order to choose freely, you, there has to be a, a, an uncovering of essence of soul, where soul is one with the essence of God, and the essence of God can choose. And therefore the neshama can choose. That element is not activated only through the body because the body shears, the body is the closest to, to the Abishter's very essence, especially in when we don't have time to talk about that, that in addition to the physical in general being coming from that place, when it comes to the Jewish bodies, the essence of God chose the Jewish body for a mitzvah. So for that reason, the essence, the body has the, it's almost like a, has a a a a uh, Wi-Fi into the essence of God that it triggers into the neshama, and at that moment the soul becomes free to really make choices. So this is really astounding what happens. Now, where does it express itself? Because we're talking a lot in deep concepts, and where does it express itself practically? So let's put it into three stages. Very, very. This is literally just one, two, and three. Stage number one is that we need to know is every time you are doing a physical action of Torah and mitzvahs, it is completely your due restriction. Because all influence from above stops, including the soul's nature to be, to do godly things, and the body's nature to do the opposite. All that is not impactful in this moment. Because in this moment, there is something very deep that's triggered, like you say, an A a plus and a minus that's touching now. Soul and body that are touching reveals Hashem himself at that moment. And in that purely truest, godliest state of existence, we naturally, when we are in such a godly state, what should we naturally do, obviously, in such a godly state? We should choose Hashem. We should choose good. But but because it's in the setting of the physical world, which is a mixture of good and bad, it's the most paradoxical thing that we can use and be the most God we can ever be and yet be disobeying him with that power. That's the paradox of it. It's like there, is no, there isn't, a, there isn't a, a godlier state than a second before you do a mitzvah. It's, it's one thing when you're doing the mitzvah. 
The second before you do the mitzvah. Because the second before you do your mitzvah, you're now being placed in that position where what's uncovered in you is your nesham is and being embedded in the essence of Hashem and in the essence of, because that only from there you can choose. And yet you can choose, you can choose darkness. You can choose the total opposite. That's the mystery. But that's number one. So, but we do need to understand every time we do do a godly, we do an action of holiness in this world, it is not because of any influences from above. It is purely our action. That's every myth. A stronger expression of free will, where it is more revealed, is when we are doing a mitzvah more than our natural, our nature causes. Because after everything is said and done, you can still say, well, after all, you still have environment, you still have a holy soul, you still have natural tendencies to do mitzvahs. So when you're acting in doing mitzvahs and you're doing only in accordance to what your nature is, that's not really expressing the depth of, tr- of free will. To reveal free will on a more ex- revealed, tangible way, it's what the Alter Rebbe says we're supposed to do, not learn a hundred times, you have to learn a hundred and one times. In other words, you have to go outside and beyond the letter of the law or beyond the natural state of the goodness that we would do based on our nature. But that's already a notch higher. That's already more expressed free will. Where is the ultimate free will shown in a human being? The Rebbe says the greatest level of free will is in doing tshuva. That's the next level. Why is that the next level? Because all the divine input that Hashem puts in our soul gets blocked as a result of sin. When as a result of sin and and mistakes that we make, we cause more and more and more and more blockages to the soul flow, to the divinity that God has put into our Hashem. So now we have less and less and less and less influence from anything, from any, from any of the assistance coming from above that's naturally part of who we are. We've forgotten the oath that Hashem has, has, has pumped into us. The steroids that God has put into us has become totally stale by now. Because for 30, 40 years, we've ignored it completely. We've completely disconnected. So in someone who is doing tshuva, where does tshuva come from? That's really, 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 really the light coming from below, not from above. That's really the lamp burning on its own. All stimuli from above has stopped. Obviously, we refer to people who are doing tshuva in, in, in a latter, latter time of their life, but it also means in our daily activity, through our slips and falls, we sometimes end up in very dark places. And yet, when we decide to come back, that's us. Because Hashem, Hashem's light is not really reaching us in this disconnected state. So when we are returning, it's because we're choosing to return. Based on this, I was playing in my mind, if the ultimate, 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 ultimate state of free choice, I don't know if this is true, I didn't see it anywhere, I would have to pass this on, is by a convert. Because a Jew still has some bit of, you can say, even after you messed your body and soul up, there's still a Jewish spark there. (laughs) But the convert, where are they coming from? Like to talk about a, 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 okay, that's just a different uh, uh, discussion onto its own. But this is three levels of free will. After all of this, and I'm not going to speak about that today because we don't have time, but where does this, the, the Rebbe takes this in this phenomenal talk to a step deeper because he says, you know what? 
there is a promise that the, that 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 is stated that in the end all the Jewish people will do tshuva. The Rambam says if Ticha Torah that Yidna are going to do tshuva, that Jews are going to do tshuva. There is a pasuk that says Kilo Yidach Nidach, that every Jew must return to God. That the neshama will not be cast away forever. So now here's where you get a problem. And Bahalos Chesaneros, when you will ignite the lamps, as it applies to, uh, is said not just as a commandment you should light, but it is also stated as a story. Bahalos when you will light. Because ultimately every Jew will ignite his menorahs. So if we say that's true, that God steps out and he allows free choice, and we can choose the divine or we can choose the opposite. As crazy as it is that we can use such an enormous divine power to choose opposite of God, and we're using that very essence of God coming to us through the body, evoking it in the neshama, like we discussed earlier, so then it has to be that we can that we that we can really choose to serve him and to do a mitzvah, and it's really us. But in order for it to really be us, there has to be the choice and the possibility of the opposite. So how can God say as an absolute certainty that in the end every Jew will serve God, will choose Hashem? And yet it doesn't contradict free will. So the Rebbe said many times that free choice is is not if in the end we're going to do it. Free choice is only how long we want to delay it until we get it done. And that's where the free choice happens. But eventually every, every neshama has to end up choosing Hashem and choosing Torah and mitzvahs and so on. If that's the case, how does that fit with the whole notion that we said before that God has really created a space? That is a phenomenal idea in the talk, but I'm not going to go there right now because it's getting late. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about it soon. But all this together gives us the idea of the enormous chidush of Matan Torah. Because by the giving of the Torah is when God instructed us on Torah to be done in the physical, mitzvahs to be done in the physical. That's when Hashem chose our bodies, which all this together creates the incredible divine scheme to allow free choice, which allows us to actually do something which is enormous because in the entire scope of the cosmos, in the entire spiritual order, on every level of existence, no one can do anything because anything anybody's done, it's really God doing it. And the only place that someone can actually do something and we can make, and we have this every moment of our life to choose and that we are really doing is only when our neshama gets married with our body in the physical world and in the context of Torah and mitzvahs because other than that, we have no choice. We don't have cho- choice in all whether livelihood and all these things. We can try as much as we want, but what we're going to get in the end is all God's deciding. Only when it comes to our morality of Torah and mitzvahs do we have free choice, but this is enormous. But the bottom line is our lamp is our lamp. It's not even though there is assistance, there is enormous assistance, but the real the real accomplishment is that we are actually doing something. And what we are doing is ours. And to really, and to really, really, really achieve that, the more we can step out of our boundaries when it comes to Yiddishkeit, so that you can't, so that it externally should not look like what we are doing is because, not because of choice, but because of 
pre preconditioned elements that make up our nature to be a very loving person and therefore to help people. But when we help people when it's past our limits, that's when we're really tapping in a revealed way the free choice in a, in a, in a more in a more revealed way. And of course, in those areas of our life that we feel that we've already kind of misaligned with God, in those areas when we turn it around, that's really us. And that's the real deepest power of free choice. And therefore the Rebbe says that when the Rambam talks about free choice, the Rambam puts it in Hilchus Tshuva. Where does the Rambam discuss free choice? It doesn't, he says the Rambam should have discussed free choice in Hilchus Yisodei Torah, in the, in the laws of Torah. Why does Rambam put it by Tshuva? Because as much as there is choice in Torah and mitzvahs, it is far more powerful. The choice, the innovation that we do when we are, when we are choosing to do Tshuva. And to, because then we are really on our own. We are in territory that's uncharted. We are in a space where the, 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 all the wires have been cut. Now, what can you do? There's no GPS now. That's the point. You're navigating without GPS. So you got to like innovate and come on your own. That's that. And that's where we have the completion of the Balaischa scenario. So may we merit already um, to see the final product of that burning bright menorah of all of our achievements and all of our done, all of our doings unified together to create the brightest light and um, Mashiach now. Amen. Amen.